0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to be back at Grace Church. While we're gathered here today, you have 75 sister congregations meeting this morning on the island of Cuba, faithfully, scrappily declaring the gospel from house to house. Not a single one owns a church building, but in house churches, they're proclaiming the gospel, and we are building a seminary for them. While we're gathered here today, you have sister congregations meeting right under the noses of the drug cartel in Mexico that have threatened them time after time, but they're planting five churches in spite of the intimidation. While we're meeting here today, I am delighted that the hospital work for women and children continues on in West Africa that that you have supported. Just this week, I was in Orlando and... uh, for a church planting conference 52 alliance churches were planted in the United States last year during covid grace church you're part of all of these stories and thousands more because one thing that i need to do when i stand before you as president of the christmas alliance is say thank you grace church Seriously, thank you. You are one of the lead churches in your engagement and investment in this global work. See, you're part of this family, the Christmas Alliance, which is one of God's end times families that He's raised up to complete the Great Commission. And you, Grace Church, are core to that with your significant investment of prayers and finances and support by sending people. So, I have to stand here and say, bless you, thank you for what you're doing. You're making a difference around the world. As, John, as Jonathan asked me to speak about 18 months ago, <laughs> finally got here, um, this is the passage that I felt God land my heart, John chapter 4. Now, in John 4, this is a story. Some of you saw it recently on The Chosen or read it recently in your Bibles. This is when Jesus is tired and hungry and sits down by a well and sends the disciples into town to get food. They're not real excited about this assignment because they don't like where they are. Jesus has taken them to the region of Samaria where they really don't want to be among people that they really don't want to be among. Amongst, among or amongst, whichever. <laughs> My wife will correct me later, and which I'm grateful for. And Jesus is alone at the well, and this woman comes to get water in the middle of the day. And they have this fascinating conversation, which you can study for yourself. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. She gets exceedingly excited. She believes the possibility of this. And she goes rushing back into town. To tell the news while the disciples are sitting there dumbfounded. Uh, Why were you talking to her? What's this about? Why won't you eat? It's all very confusing to them. And they're trying to get him to eat, and Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. I have a source. I have a provision. They're, they're, they actually get stuck on the physical level. You know, they get stuck on, could somebody have brought them lunch? Oh, uh, we didn't see it. What, what's going on here? No, no, it wasn't about bread, fish. It was about a source of inner strength that Jesus had. He would go on to say, as you study the book of John, in chapters 5, 6, 7, all the way on through, almost every chapter he gives reference to the fact, I only do what I see the Father doing. The words you hear, the words of the Father is giving me to say, he's acknowledging that he has a divine source, even Jesus, even Jesus. While he was ministering on, on earth, acknowledging he had a divine source, and he would tell them in a few chapters, you too can have that source. That if you believe in me out from you, will flow streams of living water, John chapter 7. By this he meant the Spirit. And so Jesus is saying to them, I have a divine source that you haven't fully discovered yet. What I want to do today is from John chapter 4, uh, introduce two principles that both have applications. Two verses, two principles, two applications so, are you ready, church? You good? All right. Okay. You're a little more awake than the 9 o'clock crew was. It was kind of rough at 9 o'clock, you know, losing an hour of sleep, 15 degrees out. But, but you, you, you seem a little more caffeined or something. All right. All right. So. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm doing so, just to state the obvious, I'm doing so in this current moment of time. Does it seem to anybody that we went straight from vaccination to invasion to inflation? Well, like no breath in between. That we have been through these last few years where families have had conflicts over the whole, what do we do about family gatherings? And families have had sadness with hospitalizations and death. And, and we've had churches that have been disrupted by ideology rather than theology. People are choosing to go based on some uh, political thing rather than on some biblical theological thing. And we've got lots of disruption happening right now in America. We have lots of conflict in the last few years. So on social media, on social media and regarding social justice this this has been a season of conflict international conflict interpersonal conflict internal conflict and maybe it could be said that disruption is the word of the time and what do you do in a time of disruption well for a lot of us disruption is the cause for apprehension are you tracking with me here Disruption generates a lot of apprehension for people. There's a lot of concern, fear. And and for what a lot of us try to do is, is we try to seize the moment to regain some control over our environment or resist all changes or to reorder our surroundings. Why? Because we're trying to find a little bit of stability. Is anybody relating to me? We're fine to find a little security. There's so much insecurity out there. We just want to feel secure. We want something to be stable. And friends, I want to stand here before you, Grace Church and and Lorraine uh, Facility. Glad you're joining us again today over there. Your desire for security is okay. That's a, a, a human need for us to be secure. Your desire for stability is, is okay. That, that's, that's something that is just part of the human psyche. We, we want to not always be in this disruption kind of feel. We, we want our souls to land somewhere. But friends, our our efforts to regain control and resist change and reorder our surroundings may be a little bit effective or completely ineffective. And I want to say to you that your desire is okay, but your strategy may not be. Your desire for stability is okay, but your strategy for how to produce, produce it may not be because ultimately your security will not be found in your circumstances, but in your Christ. True stability for the human soul is not found in perfect circumstances. Good luck trying. If you're a Christ follower, you have the privilege and joy and opportunity of finding your security in Christ. He is our rock. He is the stable one. He is our fortress. He is the secure one. Amen, church? This is good news. This is good news for the follower of Jesus. That Yes, we live in the same world. I pay the same gas price as you do. (laughs) We live in the same world, but we don't have to have the same strategies for how to deal with this world as the rest of society does. So let them try to regain control. Let them try to reorder. Let them do whatever they do. But friends, for those of us who are Jesus followers, let's rejoice and let's delight in. Let's take advantage of the great gift that we have, a stable Christ. The rock, an anchor for our souls, Hebrews says. I had a health crisis uh, some years ago. I had the privilege of sharing about that from this pulpit at one point in time. In... uh, very short period of time. I went from being very healthy at age 47 to not being able to drive a car. I lost 50 pounds of muscle mass in a few weeks' time. I point to my face just inadvertently, as I say that, because we have muscle all the way from our cheeks to our tongue to our swallow all the way. It's not just biceps and thighs. There's muscles all over, and I lost uh, um, most of my muscle mass in my whole system, 77 days in the hospital, and then uh, was no longer dying, so they released me into the care of my wife, who became my nurse. Bless you for that, Joanna. She took great care of me as I was on a feeding tube, and in a wheelchair, had to resign from my job as pastor, and so my life has been completely upended in a few months' time. And a friend would call me up and say, John, you were run over by a truck. You were just doing your thing, and wham, you were nailed. Now, he was trying to encourage me. <laughs> but but what do we, in Ohio, what do we call things like raccoons that are run over by trucks? What's the word for that? Roadkill, good. That's the universal word for that. That became my metaphor for my life. I was roadkill. I was doing along, going along fine, and then all of a sudden. Pfft. Now, sometimes we get pictures in our head that might seem accurate, but they're not helpful at all. And that one wasn't helpful for me. It's not real motivating to get out of bed every morning thinking you're that squashed raccoon on the road. So, so I asked God, I need a different metaphor. Can we agree together that he's the God who answers old prayers, not just the ones you prayed in the last 10 minutes? We do this, church. We put an expiration date in our prayers. You give your milk two weeks. Why do you give your prayers 10 minutes? You know what I'm talking about? You ask somebody to pray for you. You don't feel any different. You walk away and say, well, I guess that didn't work. Anyway, God didn't answer that prayer for months. That prayer for a different metaphor. But one day he did marvelously and miraculously. I was in my chair uh, where I usually was, and uh, I, I had a vision. It wasn't with my eyes. It was just in my mind. It only lasted maybe a second or two. But what the vision was was hands that were working a clay pot. Like an artist, the pot was on a wheel. The clay was was being developed into a pot, and it looked like a nice pot to me. I didn't see anything wrong with that pot. All of a sudden, those artist hands took that clay and went, and pushed it all the way back down to the bottom. He didn't pick up the clay and throw it away. The wheel was still spinning. The clay was still on the wheel. The artist's hands were still damp. But that artist was doing a do-over on that work of art. And the vision was gone. Lord, is that my story? Yes, I complained. But I like the old pot. I like the running, preaching, eating, John. I don't like the sitting, spitting, silent John. I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. I didn't eat for a year and a half. I didn't like that, John. But but God, if your hands are still in my life, if you're doing a do-over in me, I had a two word answer. I'm in. I'm in. I'll cooperate. I'll participate. Up to this point in the story, that's probably nine months in the story, I'd been fighting, I'd been resisting, I'd been frustrating, I'd been well-striving, I'd been all sorts of things. But God, if you're doing a do-over in me, my attitude changed. changed. I I found that a bigger storyline was being written. And friends, we've been talking about security, trying to create it on our own or finding it in Christ. Is it possible that in this moment in time that the divine head of the church, the master artist of your life is doing some redo work on the art called you? That he is doing some reshaping, realigning, reformation, re... re Calibration, is it it possible that he's, I think it is. He has not just picked up you or the church or America or the world and said, I'm done. No. But moments of disruption are opportunities for reevaluation. And this opportunity of reevaluation would say, Lord, what are you redoing? What are you reshaping? In the midst of all this, uh, a friend came along and said, what are you going to leave behind? What do you mean, what am I going to leave behind? Well, certainly you didn't come through all this to come out the same guy you were when you went in. Oh, good question. Seasons of disruption call for reevaluation, and it's the refining work that God is doing in us. Let's leave behind one thing our efforts to create a false sense of security and try to control the things around us. And let's find a new place of just confident rest on the rock, in the fortress, with our anchor, all of these strong metaphors of our Christ. He is a stable one. As you deepen your relationship with him, As you get to know him better, as you walk in more intimacy with the Christ, you will find less need. Hear me. You'll find less need to create security outside in some physical way, and you'll have more security inside your very soul. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our strength. Getting to know him lands us on the rock. And if there was ever a moment when the church needed to just get some divine, rest. It's now resting on the rock. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. My food, John four thirty four. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. There's something satisfying about doing what you know you're supposed to do, but he's also saying I have a source, and you too can have a source of strength, of nutrition. It's available to you. The next verse, that was the first verse, first principle, first application. Hope you got it. I need to move on. Next verse is... Verse 35, and it feels like an abrupt shift at first. And Jesus says, You say, four more months until the harvest. You have this saying, four more months. Now, now what's going on here? Is it March in Ohio and four more months? We'll have harvest, even though it's 15 degrees out there. Four more months, we'll have harvest, right? The farmers will get their corn. The gardeners will get your tomatoes. The carrots will grow again, but just going to have to wait because it's not harvest time right now. And is Jesus looking at some barley and wheat fields and saying four more months, and then the harvest Maybe. Maybe maybe there's something physical they can point to right there. But it's also very possible right at that moment as the woman, remember the woman at the well? She's gone running back into town. Is it possible we found the Christ? Verse 30 says that they are coming out of the town to go to the well to find this person that she's been talking about. And it's possible he turns their attention to people and says, you say four more months and then comes harvest. But I tell you now, now, now is the time. The fields are ripe. The fields are ripe for harvest, but open your eyes. Open your eyes. Look. That word, open your eyes, look, the, the concept behind that is the same word we get theater. Like you go to a show at a theater and, and you you watch, you you observe carefully. It's not the passing glance, ah, take a look at that, and then get on to something else. No, no, it's it's this. It's to study this, the, the engage in this uh, kind of word. To contemplate, to observe intently, especially to interpret something so you grasp its significance. Look, look, grasp this. The fields are ripe for harvest. <laughs> I don't think the disciples want to hear this right at the moment. Why? Because they didn't want to be there. I think they are saying to Jesus, I think what he's taking on, four more months and then comes the harvest, I think he's saying to them, you're saying this is not the time, this is not the place, these are not the people. That's Get on with this moment as fast as possible. And let's get out of this place as fast as possible. Uh, and we don't want to do anything here except just move on. And a lot of us are treating this moment in time just like that. We just want to move on. And then maybe someday we'll get back to the work of the gospel. Someday we're going to. No, no, no. And there's always, there's always a reason to join the disciples and say, this is not the time. These are not the people. This is not the place. We'll always find ourselves in that tendency, especially in a season like this, and the message of Jesus comes to us. This is the time. This is the place. These are the people. Look, open your eyes. The fields are ripe. The largest Alliance Church in Columbus, Ohio is an Ethiopian church. Love the congregation. I was asked to speak there a few months ago for their morning service, and they asked me to come early to speak to the teenage Sunday school class. There was about 30 or so teenagers. All the guys sat on one side. All the ladies sat on the other side. I don't know culturally what was going on, but um, I didn't ask. They asked me to speak on the Holy Spirit, and I decided to make it interactive. And so I had some questions that I was asking them about Holy Spirit. And I was impressed. They were well-trained. They, 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 their youth leader had done well, or their parents had done well. And so I was getting some good theological answers from the guys. The guys. The guys. The guys. The guys. Finally, you know, I said, um, ladies, I, I haven't heard from you. I really would, would, would have liked to hear from you. And the question at the moment was, when the Holy Spirit enters us, comes in to, to do his work inside of us, how do we change what changes within us? And I expected to get answers like, well, he gives us the fruit of the spirit or he helps us, you know, and to have power. And you know. And, and they were giving me some good theological answers. But, but ladies, when one ninth grade, I'm guessing ninth grade, slight in build and timid in spirit, but she raised her hand cautiously and said, well, when the Holy Spirit begins to change us, we begin to see... People we would not otherwise see. Oh. I'm pretty sure that that young girl, immigrant to our country, knew what it was to be unseen, to be overlooked, to be missed. And I'm also sure that she knew what it was to have the Spirit of God within her, giving her the capacity to do exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 4 open your eyes, look, 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 there's people, they're ready, uh, well, we had 75 college students at our new national office, it's just a temporary office, it's, it's a, uh we're in transition, but in Columbus, we used to have 25 college students come to this annual event in Colorado Springs, but now that we're actually closer to the human population, uh, 75 college students came, and we were doing a Q&A, and one of the college students, uh, and seminary as well. These are all ministry track kind of students, and uh, one of the questions was, uh, President Stumbo, what would you say specifically to those of us in our generation I'd never been asked that, at least not in recent years, so I hadn't prepared for that question. But in my spirit, the answer rose, what would I like to say to your generation? Don't believe the lie that people no longer want to hear the gospel. Somehow there's a subtle pressure to join the disciples at this moment in time. This is not the time. These are not the people. This is not the place. Don't believe the lie. The people don't want to hear the gospel because ultimately the gospel is a message of hope. And people are desperate for hope. Are you with me? They may not think they want to hear the gospel. They may think they already know the gospel, but stripping away all the layers of misconceptions. People are longing for hope, and we are hope dealers. Romans 1 I am not ashamed of the gospel, euangelion, the good news. I am not ashamed that I have good news to share, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Not ashamed. But sometimes it is... Hard to know how to share the gospel. I'm delighted that you have a six-week training program coming up here at Grace. I'd encourage you to invest in that. It sounds like it's an excellent evangelism training program. I'd encourage you to do that. You have an Alpha program. I celebrate the Alpha ministry and engage <coughs> Excuse me, engage in that. A few years ago, before I was elected as president, my wife and I bought a house in Wisconsin. I was getting out of my recovery trying to reenter employment uh, but there's still a lot of transitions so we decided to move close to family her family <laughs> a few sisters that lived in in wisconsin and we bought a house that had, it was okay, but uh, the yard had been totally neglected. Right next to the lady in town who had like, the nicest garden, the nicest roses, the nicest everything. And so I was trying to fix up our yard and working across uh, out there over the months and began this relationship with this neighbor just cordially. And one day I introduced Jesus into the conversation. And she got nervous and ran back into her house and didn't come out for three days, it seemed like. And I went into my house and I thought, I know she's not opposed to this. I just didn't have the relationship established well enough to really go there with her. So I went back into my house and wrote what I would like to say to her. And a few years later, an artist came alongside of me and put that message into a 15-minute book and turned it into a garden kind of format. The artist's pictures tell the story. Um, A donor paid for the printing of the book. I don't get a dime for it, never was supposed to. But all the money goes to missions. So then when you, for the price of a greeting card, you can have a tool that in 15 minutes, somebody can read on their own, and, and it shares the gospel with them in a gentle and winsome kind of way. It's like 20,000 or so of these have been distributed already. But the guys came to me and said, uh, great idea. Cute book, but I'm not giving you a little flower book to my bros, okay? So we have the campfire version. <laughs> the whole idea, same book, same words with two uh, guys sitting around a campfire and the story is told with that illustration by the same artist. They're out there in the lobby. I'm not here to sell books. I'm here to challenge us to be seed flingers, to be gospel sharers, to be the people who do not believe the lie that now is not the time. These are not the people. This is not the place. No, 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 no. With Jesus. Open your eyes. Look to the fields. They're ripe for harvest. It's the whole reason behind our moving, the, our, our disrupting an entire office of 100 people and moving to Ohio. Not that Ohio has more unreached people than Colorado, but we're just disrupting the entire concept of what it means to be, a, to be an office and And we're part of this mission, if we can go to that colorful slide, that there are still, even though we've made great advancement for the gospel, there's still 3.4 billion unreached people in this world that have little or no opportunity to know of Jesus. 4,000 distinct people groups different languages and cultures that don't may not have the Bible in their language yet, don't have churches in their region, don't have locals who are, are boldly sharing Christ. So somebody needs to come in from the outside to bring the gospel to them. That's the no access line of that world chart. And so hence an invitation for you to come tonight to this meeting, you know, so I can explain a little bit more. Why would we... Besides the obvious, we want to become buckeyes, okay? Now besides the obvious. <laughs> but no, really, what is behind this moment? So friends, two verses. I have food to eat you know nothing about. Open your eyes, the fields are white for harvest. There's a source available to us and a call that has come to us. Do not hear in any of my words, a try harder kind of message, please. Well, try harder to not worry and try harder to tell people, no, 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 no. Come to the source. Let him open your eyes. and You'll find your security in him and the strength to advance the gospel. The team's going to come out in just a moment to close us in our final song. I have a friend named Mike. SOM, he oversees KAMA. That's our ministry that does things like help Sergei, the head of the church in Ukraine, to relocate 350 families in our alliance churches there to, to safe regions. And so that's KAMA services, our compassion and ministry, compassion and mercy associates. When he was a young guy in college, Mike left the lakes of Minnesota to go to the Mekong River. It was at the end of the whole Vietnam conflict, and Hmong, who had aided America in the fight, were now fleeing from places like Vietnam and Laos uh, to get to place of safety like Thailand, but they would be fleeing through the jungle, shot at or injured in the jungle, having to cross this kilometer-wide Mekong River, be picked up by the police on the Thai side taken to a police station where they awaited being taken to the refugee camp. Today, we have over 100 Hmong churches in the Christmas Mystery Alliance in the United States, but we're way back decades ago in this story. And Mike went for the summer to bandage wounds one day, one day and to teach English the other day and alternate back and forth. He wrote in his journal that summer Today, I'll be going to the police station where a hundred mong await for their bandages. I'll wait for their wounds to be addressed. I'll be bandaging wounds all day. I don't really look forward to this, but God's called me to do it. So off we go. Isn't that the spirit of the church? Doesn't he give us an off-we-go spirit? Sometimes it's off-we-go all the way across the globe, and sometimes we go, it's off-we-go all the way across the street with a plate of chocolate chip cookies. You do realize that's the universal love language, right? <laughs> you may not speak Hindi, but chocolate chip cookies, that'll work. <laughs> off we go. Gospel carriers for the field is white, ready for harvest, with the power of Christ within us. Please lead us, team.